So uh, I don't know if you've seen that uh, CNN has hired this uh, this new uh, fella from the New York Times and the BBC to uh, be in charge. One of the things that came out when they were doing the promo tour, uh, promoting this this hire and you know talking about CNN's plans for the future, is that uh, in lieu of you know the the ill fated CNN Plus, you know they're going to start having like a streaming network thing on the Max app, the HBO app. Uh, which for whatever reason got rid of the HBO part. Uh, and one of the things that they're considering doing is putting news updates while you're watching movies or shows on the app. How convenient to have CNN invade your, your movie watching experience and, and throw, uh, you know, whatever ticker thing down in the, in the bottom of your screen while you're, uh, you know, uh, trying to focus on one any one of the great shows or, uh, or movies that is on that app. I'm just looking forward to the first time that this happens to me while I am watching something like truly serious or like a horror movie where, you know, you're, you're just waiting for a jump scare and then suddenly at the bottom, Anderson Cooper with an update on the latest from the Georgia Trump indictments. Click here. <laughs> it's like, it, it reminds me a little bit of the of the Seinfeld bit about how it's going to be a long, like stuffed crust pizza was so amazing because it's going to be a long time before they figure out where they can put more cheese on the slice right like it could be decades before <laughs> scientists achieve another breakthrough and and the addition of cheese to a slice of pizza i mean that that cnn's diagnosis that what was wrong with their offerings was or what's wrong with i don't know the american news landscape is that there isn't enough you know you know sort of like like 24 hour news cycle it's like it's like yeah, the 25 hour news cycle what would you know what would you call it you know like, like americans aren't paying enough attention to the you know microscopic perturbations of the news environment on a absolute millisecond by millisecond basis let's throw some up on reruns of parks and rec i mean strikes me as really dumb I just, I mean, I can't wait to see the first time this happens and someone does a screen cap of it, and it's for something that's like really unimportant. Because uh, I mean, you know, the uh, just going off of the current CNN uh, uh, headlines, for instance, Jimmy Kimmel says he was intent on retiring prior to Hollywood strikes, <laughs> and it's like if that run is running across the bottom of my screen when I'm watching Dune for the fourteenth time, I'm gonna be so pissed off. It's it's yeah, just... it's like it's like TikTok cat has a funny fart right over. <laughs> but, but if anything would uh would get Republicans to to want to be on the side of labor it would be if the promise of Jimmy Kimmel was gonna take himself off the air once a, a deal was struck. Yeah, I mean, I I think that that's that's something that uh, I would absolutely take as a as a trade. I I mean, it just this strike is going on longer than I think a lot of people uh, expected or anticipated, uh, which is going to bear all sorts of fruit in terms of horrible programming that we're going to live through, um, and and obviously enjoy not watching uh, over the coming uh, months and and year. But it's it's also something where I just think that you know to go back to your original point, Dan. Our problem at CNN is we're not invasive enough. It's like one of those people who has like the ESPN app on their phone and it's set to give them the little like uh, jingle every time literally anything happens in sports. So so it's, you know, so-and-so has advanced at the U.S. Open, you know. <laughs> we got, you know, it's like audio, CNN Plus, you know, we got your message loud and clear. The problem is that you had a choice about whether you watch this or not. <laughs> we, 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 we understood and we're.
Yeah, we we trusted the consumer and the consumer is wrong cnn's new album is being bundled with the new version of itunes it's rolling, it's, it's rolling out on every new iphone oh my gosh I, that's that's fantastic um you know it's just, it's a shame that joe scarborough is at msnbc otherwise it could be his uh his notorious sob rock um today uh we have uh, a number of things to talk about on thunderdome uh but i think we have to start of course uh with this hurricane because you know we've seen hurricanes matter within the context of, of presidential campaigns and seasons before, including you know disrupting and delaying uh, the 2008 GOP convention, uh, and uh, you know having a certainly outsized impact on uh, George W. Bush in terms of his political experience. Uh, I'm just curious in in terms of the combo, the double combo hit of like the Maui wildfire fire response and this current hurricane response. Uh, do you think that it actually does hurt Joe Biden that he keeps telling this story about an electrical fire in his kitchen and equating it to uh, millions of dollars in lost uh, houses and homes and resources and and hundreds of lost lives? I, yeah, I think so. I I mean, I I do because a he I mean he sounds like a he sounds like what what he is. I'll just I'll leave it at that. How about that? We'll let the audience fill in the blanks on what he is. Um, but but you know. The, the the real problem so yes it, it, it could potentially hurt him also because this is the kind of news event like getting back to the cnn point this is the kind of clip you know that the average american even sort of less politically engaged who's not in tune to the re-election you know cycle yet and probably won't tune in until next fall or you know and next summer this is the kind of thing they will see the president on tv doing and it's not a great look for him on the other hand you know um joe biden has one one big thing going for him, which is that nearly every single television camera owned in America is owned and operated by libs. And uh, they will choose, you know, how it's presented and whose fault it is. You know, the, the I, in a weird way, it's almost like the the hurricane is probably better news for. Um, and, and obviously, we should preface all this by saying it, it it's inherently kind of grimy to talk about these these natural disasters as politically advantageous or disadvantageous but you know that's the reality and it, and and in that context it's probably better news for DeSantis only because you know a he's actually pretty good at these things as far as one can be good at these things it's a little bit like being a clutch hitter in baseball you're only you know you're you're a god if you do it right 30 percent of the time and natural disasters are kind of the same thing with government responses they're just intrinsically poorly matched to these kinds of events, but DeSantis is pretty good at these things. And more, more to the point, the press is going to have a slightly harder time um, pinning it on, pinning any sort of bad response on him and letting Biden off the hook um, in light of how fast on the heels we are of them having absolutely no curiosity about what role any kind of democratic mismanagement, either at the state level or federal level, might have had in the run-up to or aftermath of the Maui fires. So sometimes the like the only way you can get the 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 press to show some sort of basic shame on this stuff is if there's just such a proximate example of them going the other way or having a different you know approach to things. So um, I think that's going to be the overriding dynamic, if anything, you know, because we're still dealing with Maui. The death toll is going to keep climbing. It really is an American disaster, um, and they're you know, early lack of any interest in, um, you know, in 
in in the sort of thing they would do if it was a George W. Bush or Ron DeSantis um, is going to is probably going to preclude them from using any kind of um, stumble in Florida to go after DeSantis. I do think what what you get out of a hurricane is a reminder for for those of us, and you know, I count myself among them that that like Ron DeSantis of why we like Ron DeSantis. That when you see his his press conferences, there's there's somebody. It, it feels like there's a grown up there that is making decisions, that is prioritizing, taking care of the residents of his state. That you know there was obviously going to be the inane questions about oh well Donald Trump's in Florida and this and that. And DeSantis was, was so deliciously dismissive of those questions that it's, you know, I'm focused on taking care of the people of my state. It, it really, it's the, this kind of stuff highlights why our primary system is so bad because it is, it is reality TV. So of course, a reality TV star is going to win because you know, that's, those are the rules of the game. Whereas you have something where, I mean, remember, what was it, a couple of years ago that there was another Florida hurricane and knocked out a bridge between uh, Sanibel Island and the mainland, and people thought it was going to take years to build it back up. And DeSantis just made it happen in a period of, what, weeks, maybe a couple of months. And I think you saw a similar thing with some of the highway outages in, in Pennsylvania recently with you know Governor Josh Shapiro, where I think that it, 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 with a better electorate, where you would sort of prioritize competence on delivering for people that, you know, but unfortunately, and again, I'm the guy that always wants that kind of boring Midwestern governor. Um, and, you know, that wants this competent governance that you can forget about, but, you know, that has not been something that, you know, you look back the last several election cycles that we've really prioritized, but I think these kind of things make the Santos look like a grown up because he is a grown up. He's not there to play politics. I mean, he is this basically sort of like terminator of governance that is just like analyzing things and making decisions and trying to you know, salvage what's obviously a, a terrible situation. And, you know, hearts go out to people in Florida who are hit with a you know, tremendous hurricane. But you're right, Dan. I mean, you contrast this with, you know, we're, I mean, all the, all the Hawaii stuff, right? It was like, oh, it's climate change. Um, and there's, there's no, it's, it's almost as though that those state officials or local officials have no agency of their own to make decisions, to make situations better or worse. They are just passive spectators, uh, watching, literally watching the world burn out there. Uh, did you guys ever see if there was any more coverage? I know there had been that AP report about, uh, the road out of one of those towns in Hawaii basically yeah. being blocked. Yeah. Has that been confirmed or is that still like, was that kind of just like left hanging out there? No, no, it's it's been confirmed, but it's definitely on the list of things that House Republicans are interested in in terms of their, uh, in terms of, of calling people to testify about the after well, action. It, I mean, it's also the most predictable thing that that that, and I, I, I'm I, I'm on my media hating conspiracy theorist horse today, so bear with me. But <laughs> it's the most predictable thing where you know there's going to be a now it can be told moment in six months or a year and a half or whenever it's a lower leverage moment for elected democrats who are in a tough spot i mean the 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 hunter laptop crap is just the most prominent recent example of this dynamic but it's like we can we'll get around to telling this story we're not such awful journalists that we're never going to tell this story we're just going to take our time there's others there's other stuff that we want to cover more first and eventually you'll hear all the stories about how, dem, you know, the, this, you know, 
this state uh, official in Hawaii or that uh, unelected bureaucrat or this person from the CDC or this was the you know constellation of factors and and government you know, uh, you know, screw ups that led to this disastrous outcome. And there will be reporting like that on Hawaii. I mean, I think it's the most predictable thing. It's just going to be when it's a little bit lower leverage for all the important, you know, elected Democrats. Yeah. Uh, the, so just to circle back to your point, John, I think that you're completely right about the kind of this. This is the moment where you prize competence and leadership. Uh, you know, DeSantis obviously has proven it before. You know, you mentioned the Pine Island uh, uh, bridge and that kind of thing where, you know, they got a temporary one up in like three days and then solved the problem way faster than anybody expected. Um, the situation, though, of course, on the political side is that Trump is still firing away at DeSantis throughout all of this. Um, the you know, that he's criticizing him for, you know, electricity rates, his uh, his surrogates are criticizing DeSantis for policy decisions, you know, prior to the to the storm, everything like that. Um, there, there has been no break at all. And Trump did kind of this, I guess, in a single day, he put out 31 videos uh, that uh, went after just about everybody on uh, on Truth Social and the like, uh, you know, firing away the other day uh, on uh, Tuesday, I guess it was uh, the campaign sent out seven different polls uh, showing uh, claiming that he, you know, show, showed him solidly, you know, beating Joe Biden in reality, like all of them were in this, including the ones from his own pollster, uh, had him within margin of error uh, for with with Biden at this point, meaning before they've run any ads against Trump, before they've gone after him at all from a campaign perspective, uh, you know, the best he can manage is a margin of error situation. And so I think in a certain sense, the fact that Trump is just kind of rolling onwards is a sign that he doesn't want people to be paying attention to this. He under, There's an understanding on his, the part of his people that this is the kind of moment where actual leadership can shine. And he doesn't want the kind of reaction to uh, to DeSantis that we've seen, uh, you know, in terms of the reaction to other governors and other officials who've faced uh, major disasters and been able to do exactly what we expect from our government. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly right. And I think you know, the the biggest I'll, I really just have one thing to add that the biggest advantage Trump has always had in this situation is that he feels no he has no institutional, ideological, political or, you know, uh, loyalties or allegiances or any felt need to toe the party line or to maintain any kind of message, solidarity or coherence or consistency. I mean, on and on with anything, any other GOPers you know, have said or will said or are saying about any given topic, just not not to put it too fine a point on it. So that means that he has available to him the full range of, you know, Republican, Democratic, left, right, far left, you know, crackpot, conspiracy theorist, Q. He has all the he has all of those arguments against whatever any of his adversaries are doing at any given time at his disposal. And that kind of, you know, kitchen sink approach from someone who doesn't have an ideology himself and from someone who doesn't feel any need to maintain message consistency with anyone else who has the same, you know, letter at the end of his name um, means that he can just, you know, throw whatever he's feeling and play jazz um, mm -hmm. at, at, De at DeSantis in a moment like this. So that's kind of an advantage. But I also think, you know, that's going to limit necessarily how many minds that changes because it's just Trump being Trump. And I think you're right. It, it, it's so much that it does read as kind of as kind of desperate. I don't think it's a, a game changer either way, but he understands this is a potentially good moment 
for DeSantis, so he turned up the volume on the whining considerably. It's just, and, and you know, it's, the, it's my reaction to all this continues to be. You look at, you know, Joe Biden's unfavorables. Um, you know, his uh, the the five thirty eight aggregator right now has him at fifty four percent disapprove, forty percent approve. I mean, it is in a, a a toxically toxically bad place, and the Republican primary electorate is like basically like the worst like lifetime movie ever where they are in love with the person that's absolutely toxic for them. Um, that you know, Donald Trump and the real clear politics average still north of 50%. DeSantis has, you know, at least as of today, and again, it's not pulling is probably not baked any of this in, has lost altitude over the last couple of months. Uh, Ramaswamy, who is you know running as Trump light, has picked up some altitude. Uh, you know, I think a lot of that is probably just the the visibility he generated for himself at the debate. But th- there's this opportunity here to 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 win and to to take on some of these issues and how much of it. I mean, it's it's just so immensely frustrating. Like, why can't you have somebody that will say the thing and have, and someone who also do the thing at the same time? And I think somebody <laughs> like DeSantis gives you that and. You know, the, the, I mean, I just feel like we're locked in this cycle where it's going to be like every news cycle has to be about Trump forever. And he wants that. And the Democratic Party wants that. And the, the media wants that. And a lot of Republican primary voters are just like happy to go along for that ride. And it's mm-hmm. it, it's it's still it's astounding to me that the, the dynamics are set up for a win. And with Trump at the top of the ticket, you wonder how bad the damage is down ballot. Yeah, I mean, what one thing that one thing that came into that, uh, and um, you know, we don't have to spend much time on it, but you know, there's been an undercurrent of pointing out how much Trump has lost ground from Republicans' traditional performance among white voters, uh, and that that's really the concern that a lot of people have about down ticket situations. That you could have, you know, a situation where Trump, of course, is going to win white voters, but it's by such a lower amount than uh, what we've seen Republicans historically have in the past, mostly driven by college educated white voters uh, that, you know, that's that could have significant ramifications, especially in a year when Republicans were hoping to really rack up gains in the Senate. Um, and and that's, I think, something that, you know, is is a factor that for as much as as Republican voters you know, claim to pay attention to politics um, and claim that they're you know kind of plugged into this stuff. Uh, until there's some kind of moment of recognition, as Kristen Soltz Anderson was writing about the other day, that uh, that this is that the electability question is not one that benefits Trump, uh, then, you know, you're you're going to have a real problem. I mean, I remember back to 2012 when Ron Paul was on this, the debate stage and he was asked about, you know, electability. And he said, you know, well, I think any of us could beat Obama. <laughs> and uh, and of course, at the time, that's what the polls were saying. They were saying that, you know, Obama was down and that. Just about anybody on that uh, on that Republican stage would be competitive with him. Uh, and I think, you know, obviously we all know the way that that turned out. Uh, you mentioned Ramaswamy. To me, this past week was the really the first week where Ramaswamy was starting to get tough questions. Uh, post his debate performance, you know, there were a number of people, especially in terms of his Fox appearances, which where he's on all the time, uh, who were asking him tougher questions, particularly about his preferred method of dealing with Russia and China. He wrote this article at the American Conservative uh, with his thoughts on how to do that. Uh, Jesse Waters the other day really pressing him uh, on this point uh, and saying, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, why, why would Russia ever agree to not, you know, sort of 
do work with China, have relationship with China under your plan. Uh, and basically, Ramaswamy's answer is, well, we've just cut them off by sanctioning them. And we and he said, you know, uh, uh, the reason the China relationship is more valuable valuable is because we have wrongfully cut off Russia from the West. So if we can reopen Western economic relationships, relations with Russia, Russia has less of a reason to be in partnership with China. We've wrongfully cut off Russia from the West by bombing the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines and also sanctioning Russia. Now, to say that this is um, uh, a an answer that if I was a high school teacher, I would uh, grade very poorly <laughs> is, is perhaps the most polite way I can say <laughs> about what Vivek is engaged in here. Uh, do you think that there's kind of going to be a turning point on him uh, on this foreign policy question? Because, you know, a lot of folks, you know, whether they like Nikki Haley or not, uh, I think take the side of this is a deeply unserious person uh, in in this conversation at a time when we need seriousness. Yeah, it really doesn't help ahead, him. And, and, I, and I think there's going to be an incentive now, and we've talked about it before, of absent Trump getting on the stage. And, and even then, I still think there's going to be a lot of people pulling their punches because there does seem to be an element of wanting to win second place and just hoping the weight of the legal stuff pulls President Trump down or somehow off the ballot, uh, which I remain immensely skeptical of. But at this point, you have a guy that is happy to be the foil on stuff. And and I, I think, Dan, I think you said this last week, where you were kind of legitimately surprised when Haley was just taking Ramaswamy just to the woodshed and people were cheering for her. And I, you know, my eyes kind of got wide at that too. I think there's been some interesting stuff, not just on the foreign policy, but looking at his business record. Um, you know, people are starting to dig, you know, the, the Twitter sleuths are, you know, starting to look at, <laughs> you know, that he, you know, what, there was one account that was sort of accusing him of kind of pump and dump tactics that he was buying up products that had failed multiple rounds of clinical trials um, managed to you know get past a clinical trial his his mother was was one of the people that was um, you know on on the the paper that was published on the clinical trials in one of these you know you go on TV with Jim Cramer and say hey look how great everything is um, you know in some ways then does, does that open him up to you know, sort of the attacks that were made against somebody like, you know, Mitt Romney in 2012. If this is a guy that, you know, will do anything to make a buck and it doesn't matter who it hurts. Um, you know, for somebody who was talking about how successful they were, you know, that had his stock down in pennies. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, I, I do think that there's, by making himself relevant, he's also opened himself up to a reckoning. And look, I think he's, he's very charismatic. He's a, he's a, you know, he seems relatively quick on his feet, but I think he's also just an incredibly talented bullshit artist. And there's not much there, there beyond this pablum. I mean, it's basically like a less fun version of like, you know, we're going to get tired of winning because everything's going to be great. Like, at least that's kind of entertaining. This is like the, <laughs> this is the, like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, kind of sleazy salesman stuff and with minus the fun. Yeah, I, I didn't think of this comparison until John was talking just now, but it's like if Trump saying you're going to get tired of winning is like the boomers seeing their own reflection, you know, reflected back at them. So it's pleasing. This is like seeing the snot nosed Ivy League kid who took your job saying you're going to get tired of winning. You know what I mean? And that gets to what, you know, I did say that last week about how I was surprised about Haley in the week since I've been wondering, like, well, how much of that is that that? you know, what I'd like to be true, which is that the GOP electorate has kind of more or less 
my views of American foreign policy and, and wishful thinking. And how much of it is just that they, that audience, like in over the course of that debate, had the same reaction to Ramaswamy that of the rest of America watching it seemed to have, which is we don't like this guy and he's annoying and I wish he'd shut the hell up. And, you know, I wonder if, if they just were, you know, you know, any port in a storm with Nikki Haley. I mean, that's, that's putting it too, too, too aggressively, but I wonder how much of it is just like, we don't like this guy. And he sounds like a, you know, a snivelly little know-it-all who actually doesn't know that much of anything. And so we're with, we're with Nikki on, on this question, but that's almost, you know, worse for him. I mean, you can't, you can, you can massage your foreign policy positions. You can hire new advisors. You can get on message. You can improve your discipline. But if you, if you just have that, you know, whatever that German word for is a, a face in need of punching, <laughs> there's not much you can, you can do about that. So that's, that's, you know, a big problem. And then I'll just say on the business stuff, you know, I, I don't want to peddle like, um, you know, too much unsubstantiated rumors, but I've started to hear a lot of chatter, uh, you know, Beltway insiders tell me, tell, uh, you know, me that there's, you know, there, there are other firms that do what Ramas, what Ramaswamy's firm does, which is they, you know, buy stock in, um, in companies whose, you know, uh, so, you know, corporate governance policies or corporate social responsibility policies they disagree with, and they write shareholder resolutions and they use their position as shareholders to try and influence those companies, including, you know, uh, firms that do that on like an anti-woke basis. And I've heard a lot that Ramaswamy's outfit is kind of like all those knockoff Tea Party outfits that sprang up, you know, 10 years ago that you know, there were some good ones. And then there were some ones that realized that that was a really great grifter message and did a lot of direct mail to a lot of gullible um, people and sucked, hoovered up a lot of money and didn't really do anything to advance the cause of the Tea Party, the Constitution or whatever, small government, whatever it was. And I, I've just been hearing a lot more chatter that there's that there's shoes to drop, you know, on that front for him, too. So, so you know, similar to what John is saying about the business record, I think there's, you know, a lot of uh, sleuthing that's being done there too. And some of that oppo might start coming out. The word that uh, uh, Daniel is referring to is uh, <clears throat> I'm, I, I did not take German uh, back, back <laughs> I believe yeah, one of the great words. If only it were pronounceable. If <laughs> only it had a badly in need of a fist. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. uh, I do, I do want to move on to a couple of other quick things. Um, we had our first candidate exit from the race uh, suspending his campaign, Francis Suarez. Uh, uh, there is obviously a debate coming up uh, in the month of September for Fox Business. We had the the the, the moderators announced Dana Perino uh, and Stuart Varney. I don't know how you, I, I I like Stuart very much. I'm on his show once a week, uh, and uh, but I don't know how audiences will respond to an Englishman uh, questioning uh, American presidential candidates uh i do think jerry baker did it before when uh when he was at the uh, wall street journal um and there's obviously a push going on from all of these different smaller candidates to try to make that stage doug burgum's super PAC is uh announced a, a multi-million dollar spend he actually has um i believe achieved the donors i believe that he's also achieved the uh the early state polls but he does not have a national poll where he is above one percent, and I think he has to get to three in at least one uh, in order to make that debate. Uh, so we'll see uh, if he makes the stage. Uh, I assume that Asa Hutchinson will not make the stage. Uh, so you know, with all that happening, my question is: Do you feel like this field is actually shrinking earlier than expected? 
uh, in the sense that there were a lot of people out there saying, oh, there's so many people jumping in. But the reality is that at this stage in the 2016 fight, uh, no major candidate had dropped out. Rick Perry hadn't dropped out yet. Scott Walker hadn't dropped out yet. Um, and so you had all 17, the full the full range of them uh, at this same stage. Do you feel like, you know, given that this is start, slight, we're seeing the slightly, slightly chip away, that we're actually going to see some condensing of the field in a much shorter time span? I yes. do. I think I think it's because I didn't necessarily like you mentioned that at the end of our post debate wrap, Ben, and I didn't necessarily know if I agreed with you then. But I I think two things and, and we've we've uh, talked about one of them and and hinted at the other one is that there's going to you know, DeSantis is going to have a couple of good moments. I think he already has, you know, on reflection, he he, he probably improved his position. I don't know, second most maybe uh, with that debate. And so he's going to have some good moments. So there's going to be, you know, a- everything is lining up for a, De- you know, DeSantis surge kind of narrative on the one hand. And on the other, the big money donors seem to have, for the moment, found their savior in Nikki Haley. She raised a bunch of money after the debate. So I said DeSantis probably improved his position second most. I think she'd definitely be number one, you know, as, we, mm-hmm. as we're now a, a week or two out. And so you've got all of that, you know, excitement and and a lot of people, a lot of millionaires and billionaires looking for a safe harbor or some hope in that race that's not Donald Trump and who maybe aren't fully, you know, comfortable with DeSantis. And so there's a lot of money moving to her and a lot of bets being hedged. And so there's there's energy there in those two spots. And I think, you know, there's only room for one or two other candidates in the in the media landscape and the coverage landscape and the narrative landscape and the donor landscape all those things so i i think um i think all that's that's going to lead to a a a potentially narrower field and also we're not going to see any surprise late entrance i don't think and i mean um and and that's another factor that would you know tend towards a quickly consolidating field i think that i i kind of suspect and it's gonna be interesting to see i think that for Tim Scott, I think the next debate is going to be super important is can he can he sort of can he stand out more or make himself more visible or be able to showcase all the things that make me really like him a lot as a you know as a senator and as a potential candidate because he was just it just seemed like that debate format again it's a lot of limitations to it just does not play to his strengths and I, I think there's space for one not Ron not Don. And I think Nikki Haley has kind of gotten that pole position now over over Tim Scott. And when you get through the next debate, look, I think it's Pence, Christie, and Scott are the are the guys that are sort of on the you know if we're doing our uh, Republican primary bracketology. They're the three that are sort of sitting on the bubble. I think over the next sixty or ninety days, and can they do something to build up? Uh, their resume to make it into to Iowa, and, and again, why you know for for any of them at this point, particularly for Pence and Christie, I mean, you have nothing to lose. Uh, why why not do it? But and you know, what are the RNC's intentions for debate number three or debate number four? Is it going to further consolidate? Uh, I, I do think you know we we don't have the two stage debate thing. I think that Bergam, who I think would actually be a fantastic president, uh, Hutchison, I, I think that it's pretty much over maybe Bergam gets one more bite at the apple uh, but I don't I don't know that he's going to be able to do anything to really distinguish himself more 
So you're already getting down then to what, maybe a half dozen candidates of which maybe two or three of them, really one of them, Donald Trump, but you know, two or three of them there, you can imagine a path for them to the nomination uh, of events. I think it's going to become a much more manageable stage. And it's, I think it's interesting. What does it look like if you have Trump, DeSantis, Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, and, you know, one of Pence or Christie on the stage, how's that go? And how's that interplay go? And the dynamics that we saw in 16 was there was this, uh, you know, this, th no one, no one wanted to be the first one to kind of go after Trump and the field was big enough that it would create this sort of paralysis. When you get down to be, being less than a half dozen candidates at that point, when is somebody going to, somebody going to have to make that move? Because I feel like they should, everyone should be smart enough having seen the example of 2016 that, you know, great fight with each other, but there's a guy that's sitting with 50% of, of the primary electorate right now. And your best place to grow is to take it out of him. So I, I think it does consolidate faster. Um, it, we'll see how events go. Well, obviously it's been more difficult sledding for Ramaswamy. No, well, gr great for him. I mean, I think he accomplished what he needed to, but again, it's, I think we're going to see more of the negative stories that are more of the, did you know, kind of stuff come out about him. And unlike Trump and DeSantis and Haley and literally everyone else in the field, you know, he is not well-defined yet. And how is he going to handle this period of stories coming out? And how is he, because I don't know that he's going to be able to wave it away the way that Trump did because he's not the showman that Trump is. So, well, and he's not the known quantity. I mean, that, that's yeah. the other thing. People got, people forget that like people had known who Donald Trump was for 40 years. They, they didn't have to, they did you know, they had an impression of him and, and that's different than being, you know, the total newbie. Um, and yeah. so um, let uh, hey, can, can I do an errata, by the way, on, on the premise of your question? Sure. There, I, Ted Koppel, Ted Koppel, born an Englishman. Okay, so he he moderated debates in the 90s, I believe. So, ah. he was, so Ted Koppel was born in England, came over as a kid. And lest we forget the notoriously Canadian Peter Jennings also. Mm moderated some debates and I, I miss i miss peter jennings man <laughs> one of my favorite moments it just reminded me of it is when everyone was going after toby keith after 9 11 for stick a boot up your ass or whatever it was <laughs> he was getting he was getting grilled by peter jennings and toby keith said i can't help but notice that you're not an american <laughs> one of my favorite moments in the history of uh, hey, let, let me throw let me throw it out right now if donald trump if you know if there's a if Trump is at one of these debates with with Varney and he pulls out the red hat and then says, make Amer debates American again. He's got my vote. Oh, gosh. No, no. Stuart's a lovely man. So, no, no, but I, the one thing I would say is just this, uh, you know, the, it'll be interesting to see if there's if there's still the same herding cats mentality and if Pence uses the same approach that he did last time. Um which, you know, I think, you know, actually did get him a little bit more, you know, attention and and perhaps uh, credit, even if if it doesn't really make uh, a, a significant impact in the polls. Um, just in terms of, of wrapping things up, th there's this piece in Axios about uh, Tim Scott's single nature that uh, I, I just find to be both, I don't know, true, but also kind of discomforting. Um, it's taught, you know, this whole thing about his bachelor status, you know, he's, uh, he's a 57 year old guy who's never been married. Um, and, uh, he, you know, purportedly ha he has a girlfriend. In fact, I think he's, I think he has made clear that he's had a girlfriend 
I don't know if it's the same girlfriend, but he had a, had to make clear that he had a girlfriend like uh, quite a while ago because there was a woman who was listed on some of his reports and stuff like that um, financially, like the you know travel and that kind of thing. Um, but it, it's just interesting to me that this would be something that would be that they would be using to target him. I'm curious. Do you think that this is a situation where uh, it's actually worse now among uh, you know uh, particularly Iowa voters uh, to be single? as opposed to be thrice married, <laughs> which, which, which plays better in Iowa. <laughs> that's an, int- I mean, that's an interesting question. I mean, the first, the first thing I thought of is what is it about South Carolina that they like that, you know, traditionally married politicians don't seem to, don't seem to do particularly well there. I'm, I was, I'm thinking about, they, they've got two bachelor senators, right. And they've got, you know, and the, all the Sanford stuff. And then the other thing I, I and Nancy I, Mace, Nancy Mace is about to and, be there. Yeah. You know, engaged to be married and apparently very much in, in love and, and very attractive. <laughs> there, but, the, but, but the, the other thing I thought about is, you know, is it a big deal? I don't think so. I think we're, we're in a, we're in an era where there's so much outrage on a daily basis that, that these firsts don't really register i mean somebody pointed out i don't even remember where i saw it but that you know there were two indian americans shouting at each other mm-hmm. in the debate about the ukraine stuff and how you know monumental that you know could have or should have been but like that's just another one of the first that seems to have been sort of washed away by other things whether it's just trumpy stuff or just the sort of daily outrage cycle seems to have diminished the importance of those kind of oddities or exceptions or firsts um you know that that would have been a bigger deal 10 10 years ago or you know in a 2012 style cycle so i i don't necessarily see it as being that big of a deal there were some stories i remember when cory booker was trying to run as a democrat about the same you know sort of things um you know i don't think uh you know obviously there you know there was baggage there and there were rumors and 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 Mm -hmm. insinuations there that tim scott doesn't have to deal with or at least i haven't heard um uh, but i don't think it's going to be that 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 big of a deal no yeah i I tend to agree and i I think that the the thrice married thing i think you have to have an asterisk around that just because stuff like that just doesn't seem to stick to trump as it did for basically any politician before Mm -hmm. him and you know the question is is it replicable for somebody down the line um but I, I think the thing that was sort of frustrating and this, you know, there, there's an Axios piece about, you know, Scott being single this morning and sort of the pause that was giving some donors is, and look, it's, it's their money. So, I mean, they can use whatever criteria they want to decide who to support, but I mean, come on. Like, I mean, some of the, these, um, look, some of these donors are extremely smart and extremely wealthy people, but I mean, it would be like the same thing of being like, well, I'm successful at this. So I'm going to go into an operating room and tell you how to do a surgery, or I'm going to buy an NFL franchise. I'm not just make myself the general manager. I'm going to make myself the head coach too. I'm going to be drawn up schemes. Uh, some of these guys are politis- politically sophisticated, but you know, how much are these, how much are these types of, of people still rooted in playbooks from 20 years ago where somebody being you know single in, into their fifties would have been an issue. I think the world has changed. I don't, I don't think it's an issue particularly where you're the, the, the people that you might ha- might take issue with Scott being single, you know, particularly, you know, maybe more religiously inclined people. Um, 
more, you know, more traditional, you know, family kind of uh, champions. Um, you know, Scott is kind of like their guy. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think it's a thing. I think it's, I think it's frustrating. There, there's like real problems. And like, this is something that's getting reported in the press. Like why? Uh, last question for you both. Um, it's not a direct impact on the presidential, which is obviously our focus, but we all saw the, uh, the latest uh, with Mitch McConnell uh, this week. Uh, which has gotten a lot of attention, uh, his his uh, sort of second public freeze moment. Um, I've written about this at The Spectator, uh, you know, making the suggestion uh, and based not just on on my own feelings, but on conversations with people on Capitol Hill, that one possibility for uh, McConnell is that he would step down uh, from leadership, but not from the Senate itself. And just to put that in perspective, the reason for that is there's a Democrat governor in Kentucky right now, and they did change the law in a way that would require that Democrat to name a Republican. Uh, but there's already been many rumors, including publicly reported, that the that the governor himself in, does not intend to follow that law, uh, that he, in fact, would instead appoint whoever he wanted and then just basically go to court uh, and fight over it because the law is kind of a weirdly written thing where the state party would like suggest three names or something along those lines. Uh, and basically the idea being uh, if he names someone to the Senate, who knows how long that court case would take. Uh, and, you know, in the meantime, they could be voting on all sorts of legislation and nominees and stuff like that. So there's a real feeling on McConnell's part that he'd rather, you know, have a replacement named potentially by a Republican Daniel Cameron, who's currently the nominee uh, is running for governor. The, the situation with McConnell, does it play into 2024 in a significant way? Um, is it a challenge for Republicans? Uh, is it a challenge potentially for their presidential candidate, given that he's the one Republican who kind of takes away from your your argument that Democrats represent this aged past that is just sort of still gripping onto power uh, in America? I think, first of all, good. Yeah, I think I think if anything, it. You know, there'll be plenty of time to talk about McConnell in, in greater depth. And yeah, this is a really sad thing that we're we're seeing happen. But I think if it plays into 24, I bet it's just to remind everybody of how old everybody else is in both parties' leadership. Um, and the Democrats are older at the top than Republicans are kind of across the board. And there's, you know, and 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 I think the really scary thing about McConnell is if you go and look at public appearances he had say as recently as like last spring um so not uh, this spring i should say so not more than several months ago i mean it, he, he's he's different and this stuff happens quickly and when we talk about president biden or even you know donald trump um his his uh wide receiver like height and weight numbers notwithstanding you know <laughs> when we, when we talk about these guys, you know, these things can happen quickly. So I think if it has an effect, it's to remind people just how old the entire political leadership class is. And that reminder, uh, and hopefully, you know, shake people out of their complacency about that is can only be a good thing. That's my my view. I did win a hundred bucks on that bet. So I'm 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 very, very, very happy about his uh if I were your bookie, I would be screaming. That <laughs> self-reported number. <laughs> well, that's the that's the line that they put out. So <laughs> it's I, I I bet the under for for those listening at 278. 
278 was the was the uh, line that I I bet the under at. I was like, ain't no way, ain't no way. He's uh he's he's not going to give him that. So go ahead. John. Many many people are saying maybe he transposed <laughs> the one and the five. Um, should should we uh should we maybe uh should we maybe talk about like where we should draft him in fantasy football terms? I mean that's uh <laughs> I mean he's got a he's got a Drake London type physique now. Yeah, so, I know exactly uh, exactly. You know, I mean, there, there's there's deep sleeper there. Um, <laughs> Look with, with McConnell, and and I think you saw the same thing. And obviously, it's it's different, but you kind of I think about him now in tandem just because it's been happening in you know this week with you know Steve Scalise with his you know his cancer diagnosis and talk about a, a great guy who is does not deserve the the hand of of luck that, or bad luck that he's had over the last you know ten or fifteen years. Um, I, I think it, and I've I've said it before, but it also just comes back to I think for. For a lot of people, and I think it's, you know, sometimes we even slip into this. It's it's easy to think about, um, you know, the, the, the fantasy football analogy is is apt, right? We think about these guys and ladies as people on a chessboard, and they're going to always do the most rational thing or what we think is the most rational thing. And if they just did X, Y, and Z, everything would be wonderful. But these are really, these are real people and real, you know, human beings and have, you know, real motivations. And I think it's, you know, I, I wish nothing but the best for Senator McConnell and, and Congressman Scalise. Um, you know, I think that they've both done a tremendous amount for for conservatives over the years. I think that if you look at the federal judiciary now, um, Mitch McConnell has a major hand in shaping what that looks like. Um, for the pro-life community, you know, do, yes, Donald Trump did the right thing and appointed good, good justices to the court. But Mitch McConnell was in a lot of ways the legislative architect of that and the legislative architect of something that enabled the Dobbs decision to happen. Um, I, I think that, I think that McConnell's one superpower in all of this has been, you know, that he just doesn't really care what other people think about him, which I think makes him very well suited to that job of, of being the leader where somebody has got to take basically the javelins for, for their own team. And it makes him, you know, incredibly unpopular as a national politician, but he is doing his job. He's the, he is the guy that's, you know, he's that uh, he's that inline tackle or that inline tight end who is picking up the edge rusher and making all the blocks to make everyone else look great. And I think people kind of miss that sometimes about him of you know what we think his job is or should be is not necessarily how he thinks about it or how his colleagues that elect him think about it. But yeah, I, I mean, I think it does when you look at the generational change thing. And now in the House, obviously, you know. It's it, the turnover in leadership with you know, Hakeem Jeffries and uh, Kevin McCarthy being a, a generation younger. It, it is interesting, though, when you when you think about kind of what's next of, you know, and Ben, in your piece where you talk about the three Johns, uh, you know, John Thune, uh, John Cornyn and John Barrasso. Barrasso and Cornyn are both 71 and Thune is in his early 60s, uh, which, you know, makes him a, a positive spring chicken in, in D.C. terms as, as of late. But um, I, for the presidential, I, I don't I don't really think it. I think it matters on Twitter and, you know, people either on the right or the left that hate McConnell for whatever reason, you know, like, oh, you know, look how terrible, like, why is this guy allowed to serve? Uh, mm -hmm. I think that most Americans are just not going to take much notice or if it is, it's going to be a 10 second segment on you know, the nightly news and um, are, are going to just get go on about their days. But yeah, I mean, it does for the sort of the chattering class uh, for folks like us, it is, you know, it does sort of highlight the, you know, what happens when you've got people that are a little bit, a little bit older so uh, you know hope you know hope he has a recovery from whatever's ailing him and um you know i i hope he is able to on his own terms sort of decide 
uh, what his next steps look like. Well, you know, we'll certainly, you know, keep keep an eye on it and see see what happens. I, I think that there's, you know, there's a need to both respect, you know, his decision making, but also not end up in a Feinstein situation or something like that, uh, which has been horrible to sort of witness on the other side. Um, just as we are talking right now in my inbox to wrap things up uh, from Bovada Press. Baron Trump favored to be drafted by New York Knicks, according to oddsmakers. <laughs> He's uh, the six seven uh, Baron Trump uh, is uh, is apparently someone uh, who does play basketball. They have uh, odds on which college he will play basketball at. Uh, they have odds on which NBA team will draft Baron, and whether he'll be a lottery draft pick. So if so, just to the weight point, you can find odds on everything now. Uh, because we are a nation of degenerate gamblers uh, in a time of inflation. Uh, so uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if you're. Uh, I don't know if you have an opinion, but it's plus two hundred to go to the New York Knicks. I was gonna say, what's the most MAGA team yet that, that in the NBA? We'd really have to think about that one. It's got to be. Uh, I would. I mean, the Orlando Magic. I don't know. I would say it's probably. Well, I think actually it would. It would probably be the Heat. Um, yeah, yeah maybe. uh but but the but the real turn against uh that would be if he went to uh golden state <laughs> well, i, I want to see Popovich or, or deal with him <laughs> that would be that would be hilarious uh for dan and for john i'm ben dominic you've been listening to another edition of thunderdome go to the spectator.com to sign up for our newsletters our podcasts uh our magazine which has an excellent issue out right now uh, I don't just say that because I have a cover story in it. Uh, we will be back next week with more on this crazy election. <laughs> <laughs>